Today on Stick to Football, we have a ton of news and notes following Black Monday. Some surprises when it comes to the NFL draft. Mello, Connor, myself, going to hold it down. We also, Happy New Year, by the way, bared the lead, uh, have our New Year's resolutions for the NFL. I threw in one college football one. It's going to be a fun show, Mello and, and Connor. Mello, why don't you let everybody know what we have going on, though, as far as when you can come out get a stick-to-football koozie, and have a beer with us. We have a lot going on. Uh, ramping up fake draft, mock draft, real draft season. January 4th, you can come see me and Matt in Kansas City. We will be at Char Bar at 1 o'clock. Uh, you can come out, like Matt said, grab a koozie, grab a sticker, grab a hug, maybe even a beer and some food. We will be there uh, meeting up with people. Anybody in the Kansas City area, if you can come, uh, make sure you do. It'll be a good time. And then also, January 20th and 22nd, as usual, we will be at Draft Picks in Mobile, Alabama. And we have some of the most legendary meetups when we are there. It is the best time of the year. It's better than Christmas. Make sure you're there. And then if any of you listeners are going to be at the Super Bowl on February 1st, we will be in Miami, Florida at 1 o'clock hosting a meetup there. Wow. I like the accents. Connor, why aren't you flying to Kansas City for this weekend? I mean, what else? We, we don't have anything going on. You should. Uh... I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here wondering that as I read the words Char Bar, oh my Kansas God. City meetup. 1 p.m. I don't know what's better than that, so I'm not going to lie, guys. I'm going to be pretty jealous, and I, I have, like, Christmas number three that day because I have a couple different sides of the family. So it's uh, you guys are doing it a lot better than me. I'll keep it that nice in case anyone from my family's listening. I'm going to say it's a meet-up, M-E-A-T. It's a <laughs> yeah, meet-up. Let's start doing that. I have only been to Charbar one time. Uh, it was incredible. I went with an ex, so my memory of it is tainted a little. I'm excited to go back with our friends and, and have the amazing food that they have. I do want to, before we get into the show, though, say a thank you. Uh, this past weekend, you guys know I was on vacation. I took my son to Texas to visit. Uh, he got to go to a couple of Longhorn ranches. He got to go to the University of Texas to tour the facility. So I just wanted to say thank you to all the people who made the weekend uh, possible for my little six-year-old. He had the time of his life. So thank you. I know I know a lot of the folks who helped us, you know, open some doors for things. Listen to the show. So thank you to everybody for making that possible. You're all welcome. Right, let's get. Yeah, thank you, Bello. We like I said, we have a lot of news and notes to get to. It and it keeps like, coming in. I know. Like, as <laughs> we're sitting here, there's more. I felt like as I was driving home yesterday, my phone kept buzzing. And it was like, I can't keep up with everything that's happening. And the first item here, I actually missed. And Mello had to tell me about it this morning. But Adam Gase is apparently, Mello and Adam Gase have a lot in common. They are very afraid of commitment. And he does not want to commit to Le'Veon Bell being his running back outside of the fact that he's under contract for three more years. I don't know what a Wyatt V18 feels about this, but Adam <laughs> Gase apparently not in love with Le'Veon Bell. I just don't see why you wouldn't just come out and say, yeah, we want him to be our running back. And then if you change your mind, move on from him. I just speak in generalities. You don't have to be specific and tell the media what's going on, but you also don't have to just sit there and dodge questions like he's under contract for three more years. You can ask Joe about it tomorrow. Like, Just have a better answer for that. I know that it's probably not your favorite reporter or maybe you weren't entirely prepared for that, but you can come up with a better answer on the fly than just, well, he's under contract for three more years. It's such a bad look to answer like that. And a lot of the other reporters on the Jets beat are saying, since Manish asked it, that's why he was frustrated. But how are you letting that get to you? Out of all the things that happened this year, that's the question 
that you're bothered by. And I think another thing is, as we've said on this show multiple times, it's no secret if the Jets can find a trade partner, they'll move Le'Veon Bell. I I don't agree with it. I think it's dumb because they're going to have to eat some of the money, which makes it a very difficult trade to pull off. You're only getting maybe a fourth-round pick in return, which is not worth it at all considering you're going to be paying him to play elsewhere. But that's how Adam Gase has felt about Le'Veon Bell since the day they signed him. And I think it's starting to show a little bit in the media, which is just a bad look. Yeah, and I I will say this. I I feel like... I mean, Lev, early in the year, I mean, he was playing amazing. I mean, he, just, he looked so good. And then, you know, the same problems that came up with Sam. You know, no offensive line. And I, I think the fact that everyone knew they could just load up against the run really affected him. So, I, I Mello tweeted yesterday. It was like, where will Le'Veon Bell play in 2020? And I replied kind of jokingly. I was like, I want to see him in Kansas City because I feel like that offense is amazing for him. Now, I don't think the Chiefs are the kind of team that would trade for Le'Veon Bell. But he could go somewhere and have success. So I actually do hope they figure things out because I like the prospect of pairing him with Sam Darnold for the future. Now, speaking of pairings, guys, the Washington Redskins have now officially hired Ron Rivera to be head coach, and it sounds like Jack Del Rio will be joining him as defensive coordinator. The Redskins, when Sunday ended, were a joke. Tuesday morning, as we sit here, they now are a respectable team. Bruce Allen is gone. It seems like Daniel Snyder, the owner of this team, has finally realized that he was not going to be able to get a good head coaching candidate. He was not going to have respect from the rest of the league as long as Bruce Allen was running this team. Bruce Allen is gone as team president. He is not involved with the team. I know some people thought he would move to a business side role. No, he's gone. Key doesn't work on the door anymore. Daniel Snyder finally, for the first time I think since I've been covering football, makes the right decision and brings in one of the most well-respected coaches in the last 15 years of the NFL in Ron Rivera. Yeah, and I think they were right to jump on Rivera early and get him before the other guys could. Me and Connor talked about it on the Monday show. And then pairing Jack Del Rio, who I think can come in and be a great defensive coordinator, with what they have defensively, uh, that front seven is going to be nasty to deal with in the NFC East. Hopefully you can get some of these guys back healthy. Maybe you see Dwayne Haskins take a leap forward in year two. I think that the Redskins are, are looking really good going into 2020. I think so, too. I think it's going to be interesting to see how the personnel side of this team is run. Now, another thing that alludes to the beginning of Matt's point in all of this is that Ron Rivera is extremely respected. And this opens the door where... If Bruce Allen was there in some kind of wacky assistant role, or they made, if this team out of all teams made that roll of the dice young hire, like the Bengals did with Zach Taylor this year, they didn't. They got a respectable guy in there where good personnel people will want to consider going to Washington now. And that can't be valued enough in all of this hire. Exactly. That's. I think that is a huge part of it is, and I'm going to jump ahead a little bit in the rundown here, but we've seen Matt Rule decline a chance to interview with the Cleveland Browns. You are a head coach at Baylor University, and I know you guys talked about this on the Monday show. You're a head coach at Baylor, not Ohio State, not LSU, at Baylor in tiny Waco, Texas. And you have said no to the Cleveland Browns, one of the most historic franchises in football. And the reason is, a lot like we're saying with the Redskins, people do not respect the ownership of the Cleveland Browns. And I think Matt Rule looks at that shit show that is everything going on there with Odell, with Baker, with Miles Garrett, 
all the problems, and you can whatever you feel about those individual people and their talent as players, they are a little bit of a sideshow right now. Matt Rule looks at that and says, nah, I'm good. I'd rather go to the New York Giants, or I'd rather go to the Carolina Panthers. So I think what can get lost in all this, and I know Browns fans are going to be upset with me for saying this, but what can get lost in all this is the Browns, I don't know that you can get an Urban Meyer or a Lincoln Riley because guess what? Lincoln Riley makes $6.5 million at Oklahoma. He makes as much at OU as you're going to pay him at Cleveland. and With barely any pressure. And no pressure, and he has complete control. If he doesn't like a player, they're gone. If he if Spencer Rattler does something that Lincoln Riley doesn't like, that scholarship is gone. In the NFL, it's not as easy to do that. And so I think with Matt Rule, with Lincoln Riley... You have to be a very attractive job to get those guys out of there, which is like you all said on Monday, Lincoln Riley to Dallas is the only one that makes sense to me. And I, I've said for, I feel like three months now, that Matt Rule to the New York Giants is one of the few things this offseason that makes a lot of sense to me. And I know we're, we're touching on some things that you guys touched on in the Monday show, uh, which I really enjoyed listening to, by the way. But it just it feels like these college coaches know now, I can make my 5 or $6 million in college. I don't need... NFL money because college money is as good and there's much more job security. Oh, and if you're a guy like Lincoln Riley, you own the state of Oklahoma. You own the northern half of the state of Texas. Yeah, not much to brag about there, (laughs) but you are doing very well. So the guys like Matt Rule and Lincoln Riley or even Urban Meyer, it's going to have to be a very good situation. That's why the only jobs I'm tying these guys to are the New York Giants and the Dallas Cowboys. I think those are the only jobs that are going to pull them away from the college ranks. I know Matt Rules maybe has some interest with Carolina, but he's definitely not going to Cleveland anytime soon with that, like you said, Matt, shit show that's going on with the quarterback, the receiver, defensive line, ownership. There's so much going on with Cleveland, so much that could be good. It's just not working out. It's not coming together. When you can't get the guy to interview, it's it's not a good sign. And I know the Browns have a long interview list of guys that do want to come there and, and, and check out what they have to offer. But it is a big it's a big deal. There is no doubt about that. And I think I'm fascinated to see how this plays out specifically because the Giants should be in the driver's seat for this job. There is no reason why if they want Matt Rule, which they should out of their long list of candidates, that they can't close the deal. But how much power is David Tepper gonna come in with and make a hire here for Carolina? How convincing is he? This is really the first step first showcase we're seeing from him and I'm excited to see how it plays out over there yeah I'm excited to see how he like recruits a head coach basically you know they're building that new facility down in basically on the South Carolina North Carolina line that looks uh, the the mock-ups I've seen the thing just looks majestic and it's in a beautiful part of the country but yeah you have to recruit this with we don't know who our quarterback is we have a draft pick that basically slots us outside of the quarterback market a little bit so it is going to be an interesting sell Two guys who we thought maybe would be moving on are not. Ryan Pace announced Tuesday morning in his end-of-the-year press conference that Mitch Trubisky would be back as the starter in 2020. I feel like this is a team that needs to do the Ryan Tannehill. You need to bring in a veteran quarterback who can be behind your Marcus Mariota in this situation, push him, and then be ready to pick up the pieces if it falls apart, if he doesn't Act, you know, continue to advance his game. There were times this year Trubisky looked good. 
We were at the Chiefs-Bears game. He looked absolutely terrible. So I don't think you can go into next year with Mitch and Chase Daniel and say, that's good, that's enough. This is a team we've talked about before. No first-round pick because of Khalil Mack. They do have two second-round picks. They have seven picks total before compensatory selections are added in. So they're kind of in a spot where you can't really draft a quarterback And something that I noticed this morning, guys, I have a big board coming out Wednesday. So I have, you know, the Joe Burrows, Tua, Justin Herbert, Jordan Love, Jacob Eason, and Jalen Hurts as top 100 quarterbacks. I do not have a quarterback ranked from 101 to 250. So if you're the Bears, we can all say like, oh, get a Gardner Minshew. Who? Nate Stanley? Steven Montez? Who are you going to take a chance on in the middle rounds of this draft? So I think when the Bears do their post-mortem on this season and look ahead to next year and say, okay, how are we going to add a quarterback behind Mitch? You're going to have to look at free agents and say, okay, do we do we actually go after a a, a Marcus Mariota to bring him in and, and be behind Mitch Trubisky? You know, who do you go after? Because you're not getting Drew Brees or Tom Brady. I don't think Eli wants to be a backup. I don't. Teddy doesn't want to be a backup. So that's you're, the problem, right? And Chase Daniel is a free agent, so you're kind of looking at this of like, fuck. Do we sign Colt McCoy? Like, what do you do here if you're the Bears? I think you are right. They should probably go after a guy like Mariota, uh, assuming that the, t- the Titans want to move on from him. Uh, maybe he just He's a wants free agent. to stay, but maybe he wants to stay in Tennessee. I wouldn't put it past him to say, you know what? If I'm going to go be a backup somewhere, I might as well stay here and see what happens with Tannehill, or maybe I go to Chicago. I see what happens with Trubisky I think he's going to be a hot commodity as a backup quarterback as a guy that can come in as maybe a stopgap guy that you don't know a transition quarterback and work with a young guy like Trubisky so if I'm the Bears and I've got a lot of Bears people ask me like what the hell are the Bears supposed to do well now step one's out of the way you know they're going to keep Trubisky so now I think you go after a guy like Mariota. That would be my first call as a backup quarterback to see what he wants, what he's looking for. I don't think he's going to get any starting offers. I'm not going after Jameis and all that money. I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is going to go there. So I think you start with Marcus Mariota. You guys want to hear the most savage possible option that they do? What? And I don't know if they'd be willing to move him, but if they draft a starter, maybe they would. What if they went after Ryan Fitzpatrick? I actually was going to say that and be like, get some Fitz magic in there. It works for everybody else. You know, and here's the thing. Their market's limited because people know that Mitch is going to be given the job out of the gate there. Where, right. Like Eli, Man- Eli Manning in media said yesterday or two days ago, he's like, listen, I, like, I'm not going. So I didn't enjoy being a backup. Like, I don't want to go keep playing to go be a backup somewhere. I don't think Andy Dalton at his age, wants to be a career backup. Maybe that's the reality of it for him, but I think he'd like to keep trying to start. And I'm not saying Fitz is great, but you know he gets those flash-in-the-pan moments where he wins games, and I know he's under contract next year, but I think, and I'm sure the Dolphins would like to keep him, of course, but it's just one of those things where if you're trying to get creative on the trade market, and like you said, Matt, there's not a lot of options in this draft class for a team like the Bears you're going to have to think outside the box and hope you get somebody that's a little volatile, but maybe you can get the best out of them for one year. Here's my thing with Andy Dalton. I think he's better than Mitch Trubisky. 
I think he is too. I don't even think it's close. He's 32, yeah. you know, so it's well, different. And you look at how he played this year. I know he's been in the league for a long time, but the guy was balling out this year, uh, led the Bengals to two wins. That's got to be, you know, good for something. Right. I mean, and his numbers were actually really good until they decided to go with Ryan Finley. I, I'm not the biggest Andy Dalton guy, but I, I do think he's better than Mitch Trubisky. I, I teased it. The other guy staying, Doug Marone, and the, what a weekend for this guy who sounded like he was fired before the game on Sunday, and then the Jags had to be like, no, 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 we haven't made that decision. We're going to meet with him on Tuesday. They've met with him. Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell will both be back with the Jags next year. And we've talked a lot about Doug on this show before, going back to when Jacksonville hired him. I actually think he's a really good coach. I am anxious for him to be able to put his thumbprint on this team now that Tom Coughlin and his you know, completely overarching style are gone. This will now be Doug Marone's team, not Tom Coughlin with the, you know, five minutes early for every meeting and all that bullshit. I think Doug Marone is going to be able to come in and, and just loosen things up. I don't know if you guys listened to the Eno Benjamin interview, but I was thinking about this yesterday. He said when Herm Edwards got there, he was like, Herm lets them be their own guys. Like, they could wear jewelry in the facility. They could listen to rap music in the locker room. I feel like that's what, like, Doug Marone getting rid of Tom Coughlin, it's going to be like, okay, you guys can have fun now. Like, we don't care if you show yeah. up with a Brinks truck. We're not going to trade you because you're the best corner in football at the time. I feel like it's just going to be a looser environment, which, as we all know, that can foster a winning team. Yeah, it can go the opposite way, too. But I am in favor of keeping Doug Marone like we were talking about on Monday. I think you give this guy one more year, see what happens, see what you can do with this young quarterback, give him one more chance at least. I mean, I'm with you all the way. I I just think that it was a weird environment with that. This is something we talked about this on the Monday show, that you know, keeping Doug Marone feels like the ultimate, like, we're not excited about it. We don't think it's a great move. But it's not a bad move of the offseason. It just seemed like a lot of things were going wrong there this year that weren't always in his hands. You could tell a lot of the players soured on the organization a bit because of Tom Coughlin's ways. And I think this was just an obvious, obvious move. And, you know, maybe this gives them a chance that I know they really like Doug Marone there. Maybe this gives them a chance to regroup, reevaluate him for one more year and get ready for a, a bigger offseason next year if they have to go that route. We got a couple other things here. We'll kind of rapid fire through. If you guys have anything to add, hop in. Mike LaFleur, a name that might sound kind of familiar, is going to be interviewing for the Cleveland job. I've actually heard Mike McDaniel will as well. Both these guys are coordinators for the 49ers. Mike LaFleur is the passing game coordinator. Mike McDaniel is the run game coordinator for the 49ers. So the Cleveland Browns dipping into that young coach situation. Mike LaFleur was almost the offense coordinator for Green Bay last year, but the Niners blocked it. It seems like uh, the trend of let's go to the Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan trees is going to continue for another year. Yeah, uh, great job. It's working out for almost everybody, except for it's not. Even Sean McVay looked worth this, worth this year, but we'll see what happens. I think this is Cleveland probably just picking the brains of what's working very well in San Francisco. That's what it seems like, and I think Shanahan blocks a lot of these guys from interviewing and you know the more experience they can get out on that interview cycle the better but and maybe I'm completely wrong but I I don't think this is a uh, a serious candidate this year right now yep and this is the news that shocked us all Monday night 
Alabama linebacker Dylan Moses announced that he will return to school for the 2020 season. Moses was the number nine overall player on my big board. Obviously missed last season with a knee injury, but that knee injury happened in August. And it seemed like everything I heard was he was going to be ready to go. I actually had agents texting me about him over the weekend who were trying to sign him. They were trying to like lock it down. So they were asking for my feedback. So that is a surprise. What might be a bigger surprise, guys, is that Nick Saban said only one Alabama player had a top 15 grade, and that was Tua Tungavailoa. Two different things to kind of talk about here. But guys, number one, I don't believe that for a goddamn second, that Alabama only had one top 15 grade. Secondly, and I know Nick Saban has a lot more NFL contacts than any of us, but the NFL draft advisory doesn't hand out top 15 grades. It's round one, round two, <laughs> return to school. So where is old Nicky getting only one top 15 grade? Maybe he is putting out feelers to all 32 teams, but I watched his documentary where he said really only Bill Belichick reaches out to him about draft prospects. So I'm sorry, Nick. I'm a little fucking confused why it seems like you're lying to your players about their draft grade. Because let me tell you, fella, Jerry Judy is a top 15 player. Jedrick Wills is a top 15 player like it, Terrell Lewis might be a top 15 player they have uh, Henry Ruggs is probably a top 15 player so I understand that Nick Saban has a job to do to recruit his guys internally to come back and he is the best at it but this seems to me and I hope these young men are using the tools at their disposal to get more information than Nick Saban saying nope I heard you were a second rounder Jerry Judy better come back to Alabama because that's some self-serving bullshit it does stink of some I don't know maybe are the players getting their mail or is this like a prison situation where you just don't know I don't know how that works out but the top 15 grade is weird for multiple reasons what you point out they don't do slots for picks it is one round one round two day three and then how do you not give jerry judy who matt you have him mocked at number four overall how does he not get a top 15 grade i mean i think at worst he goes top 12 so it doesn't make sense to me nick saban i think he does want a lot of these guys to come back honestly i think that some of them will I think that we're probably going to see Devonta Smith come back now. Uh, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen with Tua now that Moses is staying. I think that he turns into a recruiter, and he's getting in the ears of his teammates saying, let's build something for next year. Well, you know, We didn't win the SEC championship. We didn't make it to the playoff. We can't ride out like that. Let's all come back. Let's do this thing one more time as seniors. Can I just say, I think it's very fishy that the only guy with an alleged top 15 grade is the one who's now hurt. Like, oh, no one else is top 15 except for the Hurt guy, but he's Hurt, so maybe he won't come out. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I thought this was absurd in every way possible. I mean, Jedrick Wills, anyone you talk to, it feels like he's just rising, rising, rising as everybody catches on, you know, up on his tape because he's not a guy that's been starting forever. And a lot of people, you know, have had eyes on that offensive line for a long time. So I think it's it's pretty obvious he's top 15. Of course, a wide receiver could slide, but this is Jerry fucking Judy we're talking about and you know what I mean it's it just seems ridiculous to me to come out and say that and think people won't see through it that's my problem it's like come on Nick you know we've all been covering a lot of these players that are draft eligible for your team for two or three years now and they've had NFL eyes on them for so long because they play for Alabama 
I'm just, I'm not buying this at all. I want to see how many people move Jerry Judy down their board now. Like, oh, yeah, <laughs> right. I'm moving. He just no. plummets. Rugs recommendation: as well. Don't do that. Yeah, no, he's pretty solid on mine. Last thing, and I know huge opening segment. Hopefully, you guys are enjoying it. Uh, you're probably all hungover as shit if you listen to this show and it's New Year's morning. J.K. Dobbins declares for the draft. I know that feels like a nothing burger, as they like to say in politics, but it is for me because watching Ohio State lose to Clemson, but watching J.K. Dobbins, guys, I've moved him up my board, and I've been waiting to do it. I've been thinking about doing it. He's my number two running back now, only behind DeAndre Swift. He topped Jonathan Taylor for me. I, what he brings to the table as a, a receiver out of the backfield, what he brings to the table as a power runner, I absolutely love J.K. Dobbins. I, I moved him up quite a bit, too. I have him at number 22 overall on my board, actually, which... The crazy thing is that still puts him at the number four running back. I'm very impressed with all of these guys and what they're able to do. Right now, I have him tied with Travis Etienne. I, I want to see you what like these Travis guys can Etienne do. a lot more than I do because I think that he shows a lot of burst in, in what he's doing and. The game that he had in the playoff, I think that he is able to catch the ball very well. And I think that he's able to run, and he's going to run very well in the 40. Whereas J.K. Dobbins, I still think, probably runs a 4-4 tops. I I think we're going to see him go 4-5 in the 40. And then you're going to have another guy in Travis Etienne who's probably going to run in the 4-3s. Everybody's talked about the 40-yard dash race between him and Isaiah Simmons that no one was supposed to see. Well, we saw it, and we saw how fast these guys are moving. I think both of them have the potential to run high 4-3s, if not low 4-4s. When you get that burst, I know a lot of people have been talking about running backs to teams in the latter end of the first round. I think it's going to happen. Matt, I believe you had two running backs mocked in the first round. Yeah. So I think that a lot of these people, it takes one. Say the Titans take a running back in the middle of the first, or you know the Dolphins go with a running back. Then we're going to see, oh, shit, we need to get a running back. So I think that is pushing these guys up the board, and they are special, Not all four of them. And then you throw in Najee Harris, too. This is the best running back class I've ever seen. I haven't been doing it as long as you, but the depth here to go get a guy that could be a pro bowler you can probably find one in the third round if they don't get pushed up too high. Yeah, absolutely. We will be back with our New Year's resolutions. We'll be back with our scouting reports, a new segment we're bringing out. We'll be back right after this. Like I said, Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, I can't believe it's already 2020, and we will be giving out our Sticky Awards very soon. I Is that Friday show? Is that when that happens? I don't know. No, I haven't talked about it, so yeah, I don't we'll figure it out. It's happening soon, the Sticky Awards, but we have some New Year's resolutions. I don't know if you guys do those. I really don't. I'm not much of a self-awareness kind of guy. You know, I'm just like, or self-improvement. I, don't I never have. No. Mine this year is to be nicer to everyone. That'll be mine. So, we have some New Year's resolutions. Uh, I'll kick us off, guys. My first one for the Los Angeles Rams, their New Year's resolution should be stop trading early picks for players. You eventually are going to have to draft some people, ideally on the offensive line, to help this this Jared Goff and Todd Gurley out. But, guys, the Rams, that should be uh, every billboard in the, the play should be stop trading picks. Yeah, like I get that you're getting good players in return. You're also paying them a lot of money. I don't know how the salary cap is eventually going to work out there for the Rams. Uh, so they probably need to figure out something for me. I'm going with an NFL one. I'm so sick of Antonio Brown 
everything that he has said on Twitter. I don't follow him, and I still see the shit. So the NFL, I would love it if we could just say, no more Antonio Brown 2020. He's going to be a saint. I hope that the NFL doesn't (laughs) let him play anymore is what I'm getting at here. Don't let him on the field. I'm so sick of it. Coming at Juju for just petty shit after a year. Uh, All the allegations against him. I'm just, I'm done with him. I'm with you all the way. I hate even when it comes up on my feed. It's just, you're giving him the attention that he wants. That's the problem. And it's so annoying just to see him. I'm with you all the way on that one. For me, mine is for Dave Gettleman. Since you have kept your job, good for you, Dave, and the Giants will have a new coach in there, break your no trade-out rule in the first round. He's never traded out in the first round, and this is such a good year for the Giants to do it. This is a roster that has plenty of holes. They're picking fourth overall, so assuming that uh, Chase Young and maybe Jeff Okuda are gone, let somebody come up and get Tua. Even if you have to have Miami swap one spot with you, the Giants need more picks. Let's not forget, they don't have their valuable third rounder because they traded it for Leonard Williams. The Giants should move out of this pick, and Dave Gettleman will need a resolution to do so. Yeah, and they might not even keep Leonard Williams. That's what's amazing about this. My number two resolution, I I told you not all mine are NFL. I want the people at EA Sports to resolve in 2020 to give us back a college football video game. I know Melo has said before, you had one in 2014, just to update the rosters and give us the damn game. We'll be happy with it. I want to see... EA Sports bring back a college football video game in 2020. I mean, obviously, I think I could spend a whole show talking about NCAA 14. So I I want that to happen. I think we're at least headed in the right direction to make it happen. My next one, I'll stay with the NFL. We have to fix this whole ref thing. Uh, The the blown calls, the not able to review things. Well, no, you can review pass interference, (laughs) but it doesn't fucking matter because they're not going to change the rule anyway. They're just going to go with what's on the field. You see some late pass interference and and meaningful games in Week 17, and they won't even stop the game to review it. Uh, I mean, that determined the one seed in the NFC with the Seahawks and 49ers. I don't know why we put these rules in place if we're not going to do anything with them. And then all the blown calls, it's just, it's terrible. You watch football on Sunday and all you see people talking about are the referees. Yeah, it's brutal. There's no doubt about that. And it needs a rehaul in the worst way. On a little more positive one, number two for me here, keep a sideline camera on Drew Locke at all times. This man, (laughs) that uh, him rapping (laughs) put on in sync perfectly I don't even know, out of all the songs that have been on, was it on in the stadium? Was it just in his head? <laughs> I have so many questions about This song came out in 2008. I don't know. I, I'm quickly becoming a very, very big Drew Locke fan, and, and I want more Drew Locke off-the-field content. I like Drew Locke, too. I am starting to be a fan of his. I saw a reporter, like as soon as he was done with his post-game interview, show him the video, and he was like, what was I rapping? Like He had no idea. He was like, was this the same <laughs> song I was rapping in the huddle? And they're like, what? He's like, oh, I rapped something else in the huddle. I don't remember which song. But I, I <laughs> think the guy's something. just living in the moment in Denver, and he, he's playing very well. So even though they're a rival of my team, I'm happy for them. I'm happy for the Broncos that they hopefully – 
finally found a quarterback in the second round, even though they passed him up a couple times. Uh, it looks like it's going to work out there for him. I, I really do like Drew Lock four one as a starter, by the way. So, and I know late season doesn't always mean anything, but uh, they have something to build on headed into next year. Speaking of our teams. My New Year's resolution for the San Francisco 49ers, promise a blood oath to never pay another running back as long as Kyle Shanahan is your head coach. You don't need to. Raheem Mostert was cut by six teams, including Connor's New York Jets, and is now averaging six yards a carry. Matt Breida, undrafted free agent. You don't need to draft Jill Williams in the third round. You don't need to pay anyone. Jarek McKinnon, Tevin Coleman, stop. Just let Kyle Shanahan find guys in the undrafted market. I wonder who they're going to find to be their running back next year, because I really thought Breida was the guy after last year. I picked him up for my fantasy team. It's like, this dude's going to rush for 1,200 yards. And then, nope, they find some scrub off the street and turn him into almost a Pro Bowl-type running back. Next one for me, you talk about your favorite teams. I have to go after Baker Mayfield. My least favorite guy in the world. (laughs) That took a turn. (laughs) 2020 New Year's resolution for the Cleveland Browns. Keep Baker Mayfield in check. I know that Freddie Kitchens was like his BFF. Somebody just tell him, shut the fuck up. Just go play football and let's worry about that. When the fans are heckling you from the stadium, ignore them. You don't have to talk and share an opinion about everything. Let's just calm it down a little bit and focus on playing because your first two years haven't been great. For a number one overall pick, you have a lot to focus on, a lot of work to do with your receivers, with this offense. You're going to have a new offense to learn. Just be quiet and worry about the football stuff because it's not going well. If he were out there playing like Lamar Jackson and talking shit to everybody, it would be one thing. But when you are average at best, you need to kind of refocus, do some different things. And I think that starts with just being quiet. Have somebody bring in a coach that can handle him and keep him in check. Speaking of favorite people, uh, I'm going to go with Adam Gase for my next one. And, and I actually went with my favorite team, and you guys are like, let me talk about my nemesis. Okay. Stop trying to turn Sam Darnold into old Peyton Manning. I, I don't understand how you can watch Sam Darnold and think, yes, this is a drop-back, statue-in-the-pocket quarterback these slow-developing routes. The offensive line stinks, so that would never work no matter who's back there. I I just don't get it. They don't roll him out. They barely get him on the move. They run little to no RPOs, and the few times they did, he scored a touchdown in the end zone like three out of three times. I don't understand this offense. And even worse is, they're saying they're not bringing in any offensive staff changes that would challenge Adam Gase to be more creative with this young quarterback. It's crazy to me. This It's just so nuts to me to watch Sam Darnold's skill set. I know you guys were even bigger fans of him than me and think this is the way to use him. It's failing miserably. He made no steps forward this year under this coach. Yeah, you know, uh, not to make this a Jets podcast, but I remember my favorite thing about Darnold coming out was how good he was in like the two minute drill, how poised he was that he can move around, make all the throws, and then you watch him play now, and it's like they're not letting him do any of the things that he does well, and I think that's the hardest part. Like you said, he was my quarterback one, he was Mello's quarterback one, but it's like square peg and round hole with what they're trying to do with him right now. Well, instead of like playing to his strengths and saying this is what our guy does best, let's scheme around him and let him do it. They're like you said, square peg round hole. Like it's just not working out there. 
Number four for me, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know that sometimes the devil you know is better than the one that you don't, but their New Year's resolution should be to stay away from Jameis Winston. Speaking as someone who has a history of not staying away from people when they should, let me tell you, run like the wind away from Jameis Winston. And I, I was happy to see Bruce Arians basically saying, hey, if we could win with Jameis, imagine what we could do with a good quarterback in his season-ending press conference because, guys, he ain't it. And I, I know that you're going to say, oh, he threw for 30 touchdowns and 5,000 yards. He threw 30 interceptions. And lost 30. the last game with a pick six. And that doesn't count his fumbles, which are also a, a plethora of them. It's not It's not it, guys. He's not it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Bruce Arians can create a good quarterback, and all the good that was done by Jameis Winston was probably created by Bruce Arians this year. All the bad, yeah, that's probably Jameis. The L.A. Chargers, 2020 New Year's resolution. Let's just finally admit that we probably need to avoid L.A. It's not working. I've seen so many videos of Phillip Rivers in the huddle being like, I can't hear. I can't hear what's going on. I don't know what the play call is. And you, then you think, like, well, are they in Arrowhead? Is this one of the last games at Oakland? No. They are the home team in L.A., and more fans are showing up. In this little tiny 20,000-seat stadium, they're just being flooded with the away fans. It's not going to work. I think they need to explore some more options. I think they should crawl back to San Diego with their tail between their legs and say, let's work something out because the fans in L.A. hated us. What do we need to do back here in San Diego? Because L.A., not working for the Chargers. With you all the way on that one. They got to find something else. My next one here, a team that should have been in the playoffs, the Steelers. Listen, they took a third-round swing on Mason Rudolph. I understand drafting him at that point. It didn't work out. They just really didn't have a backup plan after Big Ben went down this year. Whether it was Mason Rudolph, whether it was Duck Hodges, who really didn't do much better, This defense was a very, very talented group, a well-coached team, and I know they're going to be relying on Big Ben coming back next year, which that's a wild card with an elbow injury like that, and we've seen him balloon up to God knows what right now. I know he'll get back into somewhat shape, but man, is he looking living large. The Steelers need to probably start thinking about not only their backup quarterback, but quarterback of the future over there. I can't remember a player that I've turned on more than Mason Rudolph. Like I liked him. It was him a bad in, year. I, it really was. And I liked him in college. Th- he had limitations, obviously. But I liked him and thought, okay, in the right scheme, he might be able to be okay. He, I'm not saying what Miles Garrett did was okay, but I understand it. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. Like, I'm not. It's not okay. I liked him more than anybody on this podcast. Uh, I thought he probably could have been a first-round quarterback, but you're right. I've definitely turned on him, too. He just he has one of the most punchable faces I've ever seen. You watch him do the interviews afterwards. I, I thought he had some promise, but it just it didn't work out this year. Uh, you gave him that opportunity. Probably time to go ahead and move on if you're the Steelers. Last one for me, the Washington Redskins. We talked about it early in the show. They've done the right thing. They've moved moved on from Bruce Allen. Guys, you don't ever go back to an ex. You broke up for a reason. The Redskins have to remember this. I know that he's Daniel Snyder's golf buddy. He's his drinking buddy. Don't do it. Stay far, far away. Let Ron Rivera fix this team for you. Yeah, I I think that's a good idea, too. I'm going to go with the guy that's always looking to find that person. 2020 is the year. I'm going to find the love of my life. I'm going to start the search now. And that team is the Miami Dolphins. Please go out and find your quarterback. I'm I'm tired of dealing with the Josh Rosens of the world, the the Fitzmagic. Go get your guy, whether it's Tua or, or somebody else. 
not Ryan Tannehill. Let's go ahead and get yourself a quarterback for 2020. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, I mean, the Fitzpatrick season had its fun, as it always does. But it's time to get somebody that you're back there that you're hoping is your guy for the next 15 years. My last one here, speaking of quarterbacks, it kind of piggybacks off of Mellows. And teams in the top five, do not reach on Justin Herbert. I cannot explain to you enough how bad of an idea that would be. If you're picking, you know, if you don't have to move up and you're picking whatever it is, 14, 15, you like his traits, you know, like the Bucks can find themselves in that position, go for it. Try to develop him. But if you trade up and give up a ton of assets to get him, or, or you, you you bet your job on him, I do not feel good about it at all. I, I have this weird feeling somebody in the top five, or somebody will move up to the top five to do it, and I just don't think it'll work out. You know what's funny about this, Connor? I swear, I swear on my children. As you're talking about this, a couple minutes ago, someone DM'd me. An article, and it was that Justin Herbert was going to be the steal of the draft. And someone was like, "What do you think of this?" And like, I'm steal, steal the draft. Like, I'm not one to like really comment on other people's work. Like, everyone has their own opinion. Everyone has their own eye. That one shocked me. But yes, there is an article that came out t- on Tuesday about Justin Herbert being the steal of the draft. So we'll share it with us so oh. we can laugh together. Yeah. Well, I'll, yeah. yes. <laughs> Group text is about to to get fired up for sure on that one. All right, those are our New Year's resolutions. Tweet them at us. Let let us know yours and what your favorite teams should be. We'll be back right after this with our scouting report segment. It is officially fake draft season, as Mel likes to call it, but it is real draft season now. Uh, January 1st is here. It's 2020. The next... Almost five months will be spent in heavy draft evaluation mode. We're getting ready for the Senior Bowl, the Shrine Bowl, the NFL PA Bowl, and then the NFL Scouting Combine in late February. And guys, it's time to move on from where we would normally talk about NFL games and picking college games and start talking about the players in this class. And that means on every show that we have space for it, we're going to start breaking down players, giving you guys some of our scouting reports. These are going to be quick. These going to be succinct, but it's going to give us a little bit of an opportunity to discuss some of the top guys, some of the sleepers, and hopefully we'll actually get some some disagreements because I think those breed the best conversations here. I'm going to start with one of my favorite players in the draft. Week one, we're going to take it easy and go with top players, and that is Jerry Judy. I know there's been – I feel like Jerry Judy is a lot like – Nick Bosa was last year where we overthink guys because we get scouting fatigue. You've heard about Jerry Judy for three years. You're probably a little tired of hearing about how great he is. And I think when that happens, we put the microscope on and any flaw or any bad play gets blown up. It gets highlighted. We see this every year. You know, Jared Goff has a bad game. Oh, he sucks. No, he's still going to be the first pick. You know, we we saw it with Sam Darnold. We've seen it with Trevor Lawrence. Jerry Judy has been the guy that's been, I think, too closely watched to where people are only seeing the trees and not the forest. So my positives for Jerry Judy, he has special route running ability. And that comes from an incredibly loose and flexible lower body. His agility is off the charts good. His three cone is going to be is going to be just scouting heaven, watching him run a three cone because his route tree is fully developed. And a lot of times when I watch wide receivers, it's, okay, can you separate? I need you to do that by size or by speed. Judy does it with route running, which to me says he's going to have a very easy transition to the NFL because he's already a great route runner. His burst out of his breaks 
is very, very special. I don't think he's going to be the fast receiver, fastest receiver in this class by any stretch of the imagination. But his burst, his ability to put that foot in the ground, break out of his route, and then explode is really, really special. You know, he doesn't have great size. He's probably going to be six one, under 200 pounds. There have been some body catches and some body catch drops this year. But for me, overall, Jerry Judy still the top receiver in this class with a comparison to Odell Beckham Jr. I think what Jerry Judy does really well, like you said, is the route running. But it's also stuff that's kind of hard to figure out if you don't know what you're looking for. It's really easy to see guys like the guy I'm going to preview, Isaiah Simmons, who has great size and great speed. That pops on tape, and everybody can see it and be like, wow, this is amazing to see. With Jerry Judy, it's a little bit more hidden because there are a lot of small aspects to his game that not a lot of other receivers have uh, at this level. I think that he's easily going to be a top 15 player, and I definitely think that he's going to be you know, wide receiver one. Maybe CeeDee Lamb sneaks up there. Maybe he's wide receiver two. But outside of that, I don't see anybody who's going to pass Jerry Judy. No, the point is with these guys, especially him and CD, uh, they're just so special in this class, the things they do. And I think with Judy... Like Matt said, it's it's the burst. It's the ability to separate. As soon as the ball is in his hands, he's electric in the open field. And I think he's one of those guys that's not scheme-dependent at all. I mean, he really should thrive wherever he goes. Obviously, the numbers will be different depending on the situation he falls in with the quarterback and the coach. But Judy's one of those players right now that he should walk into the NFL and sleepwalk to 1,000 yards. I truly believe that. He has that kind of talent from day one. Yep, I agree. Uh, I'm up next, and I am going to go with my guy, Isaiah Simmons. Right now I have him listed uh, number four overall on my big board. I have him listed at linebacker, but honest to God's truth, the guy doesn't have a position. Uh, he could be a linebacker. He could be a safety. After going back and watching some of his games, he has lined up at slot corner for the majority of his snaps. He has played middle linebacker, outside linebacker, strong safety, and free safety. Now, I need to watch some more games to figure out, has he played outside corner? I think he could. He's also been an edge rusher. He is literally lined up everywhere except for, I think, nose tackle and the three tech. He's a very special guy. We've been calling him a unicorn. What he does in coverage is amazing. I think that this is a guy who needs to go in the top 10. And if for some reason he falls to 10, the Cleveland Browns would be absolutely stupid for not picking him. The biggest problem that Cleveland faces right now is Lamar Jackson. You want to stop Lamar Jackson? Go get Isaiah Simmons because he might be the only guy that can do it. I thought you were going to say because Joe Sherbert's a free agent. I was like, oh, good call. No, you're right. It's How do you stop Lamar Jackson? You spy him with Isaiah Simmons. You watch the way Clemson uses him, and this is where people get confused as, is he a linebacker? Is he a safety? I don't fucking know. When they line him up, he's all over the field. I watched the Ohio State game. He's literally at safety. Free safety, dropping back in cover three. When he had that big interception, that's where he was lined up. He's playing center field safety and roaming to the sideline to get a pick. But he can also rush. They use him to rush off that nickel corner slot. And it's it's impossible to figure out. Because he can drop into coverage. He can guard the number three or four receiver. He can man up on a tight end. Or... They'll slide a safety over. The safety has man responsibility on the number three receiver, and they blitz Isaiah Simmons off the edge. It's ridiculous the way that they're using him. I love it. I hope that the NFL sees it and says, you know what? 
I don't know if he can come in and play linebacker. I don't know if he can play safety, but I know he can play both of them. The only questions that I have with him is he plays so far off the ball. I wonder if traditional teams are going to look and say, he's not a traditional linebacker. He's not a big thumper. He doesn't play in the trash as well. So I do want to see if he can get off blocks. Uh, that's what I'm going to be looking for in the national championship game. Does he play in the trash? He's usually you know, seven, eight yards off the ball. So I want to see him come up and make more stops in the run game. He had 90-plus tackles, a shit ton of sacks interceptions he can do it all one question can you get off blocks I, I will interject with two anecdotes here number one i've told this story many times when i was talking to a really a good scout someone who i respect a lot and has taught me a lot about uh miles jack and i said well where's he gonna play and he looked me square in the face like i was the dumbest person in the world and said on defense and I feel like it's that way with Isaiah Simmons. He's going to play on defense, and you're going to find him a spot where he can be a matchup player. And, and the second note is, you, you mentioned that he plays far off the ball. One of my most embarrassing misses ever was having a late first-round grade on Luke Keekley because I felt like he played too far off the ball and made too many tackles down the field and was like, I don't know how well it's going to translate. Now, obviously, that was like a decade ago, and the NFL has changed a lot. But with Isaiah Simmons, I think he is in that Patrick Willis, Luke Keekley mold of this guy just makes plays and he can play middle linebacker. He can play weak side. He can play Sam. He he truly can play everywhere. So I'm, I'm excited to see where he ends up. Uh, Me too. I love everything he does. And I think the more disguises you could do, he's just a special player. He almost feels like the, like everybody wanted Hassan Reddick. And I felt guilty of this too, to be this super player. This guy that can rush the passer, he can play off-ball linebacker, he can cover out and you know in zone coverage. Simmons is like is actually that and more. I just I've never seen anyone like this before. Just the, when he plays single high safety, and he he's that big, it almost looks like somebody created a player in Madden and souped up the wrong traits and put him out of position. It's like oh this six foot five safety's back there, but he's moving like a safety. It's unreal to watch and. I, I kind of went with the same thing as you guys here. I started with one of my favorite players in this class, and we'll get into day two, day three guys, deep cut kind of guys. But as we kick this segment off, I wanted to talk about Jeff Okuda because I said it on Monday's show to Mello. I think he's better than Jalen Ramsey was coming out. I I really do. And a little background on Jeff Okuda from Ohio State. He's a five-star recruit. He was expected to, to blossom into this top corner, and he has. 6'1", 200 pounds, you know, interesting backstory. He actually, his mom passed away, I believe, before he even stepped on the field at Ohio State. I think that was in 2017. So he's been through a lot and really persevered through a lot. And just, you talk about the player, great length, long arms. He's got light feet, fluid hips. He, he really gets into his back pedal in a hurry. And in coverage, he's sticky, physical. He's constantly in the hip pocket of receivers. He has the speed to run down the field with them. But what I really like about Akuda is a couple of times when he gets beat off the line of scrimmage, whether he doesn't shoot his hands or they're in press bail and and he just simply gets beat, his recovery speed is so impressive to get back to where the football is going, to get back to the wide receiver in their route. And when he doesn't get beat, he's so good at disrupting routes. He's really, really good at slowing guys down, reading the quarterback, turning his head, reading the ball. 
And then it's the little things. Those are all the things that make him a great man coverage corner, which I really think he'll thrive in a man scheme at the next level. I, he has plenty of reps in zone. I think he does a good job sitting on the quarterback's eyes, but I still think he's val- most valuable. his most valuable trait is in man coverage. But even when teams run the ball or they, they do these dump passes in the flats, he comes down hard. He crashes down hard to tackle. He, he just loves being around the football. He really, really does. Great body control, just an excellent athlete. He's somebody that I could see having a phenomenal, not just 40, but three cone because of how fluid he is. This is everything you want in a defensive back. And, and I think if anyone's looking for things to worry about, it, maybe it's that he has limited play time. You go to Ohio State, there's a lot of good players already there. You don't get on the field right away and then you leave early. And maybe that small sample size is something that teams will question. But when you watch the film and you look for every trait in, in a premier top flight corner, a legitimate top three pick. Jeff Okuda checks the box at all of them for me. I, I like what you've said about Jalen Ramsey, and I was I was actually just thinking about this. Um, I don't know how many people remember when Jalen came out, there was a question of, is he a corner or is he a safety? He right. kind of yes. played that star position for Florida State a little bit. And, and there was a lot of back and forth about wh- where do we put this guy? Now, obviously, he's been very, very good at corner. He's flourished there. I don't know yet if Akuda will rank higher for me than than Ramsey did, but I've said that he's my highest graded corner since Jalen, and before that it was Pat Pete. So he's in rare territory. I think Akuda's another one of those guys that it is sometimes like Mello with Sam Judy. It's hard to see because he just does the little things well, and it's you know he's not a freak when it comes to height, weight, speed. He's just really, really good. I compared him to Stephon Gilmore. So huge, huge fan of of all these guys that we've mentioned they're each inside my top five players uh, it's going to be fun getting into this process and continue to break them down let's take a break when we come back we'll close this baby out with some draft on draft to start 2020 it is draft on draft time um no cracking beers because it's tuesday morning when we're recording although it is new year's eve so maybe we we probably could have gotten away with it but i'm saving myself for the weekend because it's going to be uh, a little bit of fun let's jump into these guys garrett greenley low-key one of our our best new listeners he asked with the lions having the third pick and not drafting tua or herbert is their best option to trade down a pick or two and still get Akuda? Or do they just say fuck it and draft CeeDee Lamb at four or five, assuming they trade down and have an offense of uh, CeeDee Lamb, Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, uh, TJ Hawkinson, and Carrion Johnson? Sorry, it was it, these are abbreviated, so I was reading them. I, I think, Garrett, this is an interesting question. We've said before, I heard Melo say it uh, on the Monday show, the draft pivots at three, what the Lions do. Now, whether they should trade down or not, it takes two to tango. If you're going to trade back, who's going to come up? Are the Dolphins willing to come up? Uh, do they feel like they need to jump a team like Connor or Sam of the New York Giants, who have historically, Dave Gettleman has never traded a first-round pick. So why do you feel like you need to jump the New York Giants it is what you would look for in terms of a trade partner. Now, I don't know that the Lions, you can look at this team and say, they could use Derek Brown, and I think he's a good fit. They could use Jeff Akuda, absolutely. Uh, but do they feel like if they trade back, are they going to lose out on one of those guys? The Giants could take Jeff Akuda, even though Gettleman has not historically valued corners early in the draft. That that pick could still happen. So I think if you're Detroit, you feel like if we trade back, is there still a guy we would want? Now, as far as a receiver goes, I had some Lions fans really mad at me in my mock draft because I had them take Derek Brown, who is a very, very, very good player. Uh, I, I don't think he and Quinn and Williams are that different, honestly. But some Lions fans were saying, why don't we just draft a receiver? 
I feel like they they have a very good receiver in Kenny Galladay, but another, I guess, outside receiver wouldn't be out of the question here. That just doesn't, to me, feel like what Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia are going to do in terms of team building. Yeah, and I do think they're a big candidate to trade down because I'm going to call the Dolphins, I'm going to call the Chargers. Which one of you really wants this quarterback? Which one wants Tua? Because you're going to have to trade with us because the Giants aren't or doing Carolina. it. Carolina. If you're Carolina, right? so you might you, have to jump somewhere. If you're one of those teams that are sitting at 5, 6, and 7 right now and you want a quarterback, Detroit's probably the pick that you're going to have to go with. I think the Redskins stay at 2. They'll probably take Chase Young. The Giants, probably not going to trade like you just mentioned. They don't do it. So if I'm the Chargers, I know I have to get in front of the Dolphins. Number three at Detroit is the spot to do that. Or if I'm Carolina, number three is the spot to do that. The Dolphins could also say, you know what? I want to secure that these guys don't come up. I'm going to go ahead and trade with the Dolphins too. And that allows Detroit to say, all right, now we still get to choose. Do we want Derek Brown? Do we want Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, Jeff Okuda maybe? One of those guys has to fall to us, and we're going to pick up another pick for it. So if I'm Detroit, I'm definitely going to call and see what's going on if I have you know, Miami trying to come up or the Chargers or the Panthers. I think they have to. I mean, you look at the holes on this roster and sitting in the sweet spot of the draft, you have to at least explore your options. Now, I will say this to Garrett's question. If the Giants move out of three... I know the Giants could do any anything, but if the Lions move out of three, you you feel like the Giants would sit there and take a Cuda, and, and that's a tough pill to swallow. It really is. I I love Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb. Love, love, love them. The value of Jeff Akuda is significantly better than either of those guys to me. Yeah, I I agree. All right, let's move on. Second question here. Uh, actually, it's not really a question. From two of our, our best friends, Tyler Warden and Dan Kiefer. I think Dan Kiefer's a Dolphins fan. Maybe he's a Chargers fan. I don't fan. know. I, I don't, if I don't. you have two favorite teams, do you have one favorite team? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you're probably asking the wrong guy talking to me because yep. uh, I will say – I'm out on, like, I've always loved Tom Brady, which is why I've kind of rooted for the Patriots. As soon as Brady's gone from there, like, I won't care about the Patriots anymore. I'm just a Tom Brady fan. Is that fair? Okay, all right. So they here's what they say. I don't have a question. I would just love if you spent two to three minutes talking about how amazing the Dolphins are and how Brian Flores was the best hire of the offseason. That's from Tyler Warden. Danny Kiefer says, should Brian Flores receive coach of the year votes for what he's been able to do with Miami's current roster? I don't think he should receive coach of the year votes, but he should receive some acknowledgement for what he's done. I think the Dolphins have 1A of the most important part of the turnaround, and that is the head coach. They have that in Brian Flores. Now they have to get their quarterback, and time will tell whether or not they're able to do that in this draft class. Now, I know Mello, as a Chiefs fan, probably has a lot of really great things to say about the Dolphins right now. Uh, the, Chief, the Chiefs, Connor, I don't know if you've seen this, Kansas City fans have started a petition to get Ryan Fitzpatrick to come bang the drum at Arrowhead did, before I the playoff game. This. So Fitzmagic will never have to buy a beer in Kansas City again. That's for sure. He shouldn't have to. And I hope that he comes and does the drum thing too. That would be cool. Uh, as far as Brian Flores, I don't think he's going to receive any Coach of the Year votes, and I don't think that he really should either. But at the same time, I don't know that any coach did a better job this year than he did. Uh, I think that Harbaugh is probably going to get the Coach of the Year with what they've done uh, in Baltimore. It's just been very impressive. He would get my vote. But Brian Flores has done an exceptional job. We all thought that the Dolphins 
would have that number one pick. I think the Dolphins thought they would have that number one pick and probably go two and 14, but he got these guys to play. And even when they started trying to trade off guys, they still found ways to win. I mean, New England was trying to win that game. They needed to win week 17. It's not like they just strolled into town and said, well, this game doesn't matter. They wanted to win that game, and Miami beat them. With all the starters, healthy guys, Miami came in and beat them, and I think that's the head coach talking right there. He's done a really good job. There's no way around it, especially how this season started out. To keep that locker room, to keep things from going south, is really impressive to me. It's going to be interesting next year. Chan Gailey coming out of retirement to be the offensive coordinator there. Um, you know, Chan Gailey's had quite a few stops in the AFC East now. Some good, some bad, a lot of experience with Ryan Fitzpatrick. But I think with Flores, he just does a really, really good job there, not just with his defense, but with the entire team. He really has that head coach persona of building something not just focusing on just the quarterback or just focusing on his defense or or doing things like that. So I, I don't know. I'm not going to overreact to this and say this was the, the best hire ever, but I think he's done an incredible job. I think he deserves all of the praise they've gotten. And if anything, it makes you excited for when they use all these draft picks and have the roster to play in meaningful games to see how he is in those big moments. Next question from Tommy Boy Sunshine. He says, if you could create a Frankenstein receiver of prospects, what would that look like in terms of routes, speed, height, weight, all the other things that go into it? And I'm going to tell you, Tommy, it is Julio Jones. That's it. That Julio Jones is the freak. I mean, it, his combine, he ran a 4-2-5 at 6-3-2-20. He ran a 6-6-3 cone. He did this with a broken foot, by the way. He, he broad jumped 135 inches. Julio Jones is the f- most freakish wide receiver. I know some people are going to say DK Metcalf, and like that's cool if you want to go that route. For me, Julio Jones is the guy where I, I still he's probably going to forever be the top rated receiver that I've ever evaluated, just because he's so not easily so good. He's so athletically rare. Yeah, I mean, he had everything. I, when you look at, I think, prospects this year, though, Jerry Judy, his route running ability with Henry Ruggs' speed, uh, you could probably create some kind of Frankenstein just based off Alabama receivers no alone. You I just mean, don't have size. Yeah. You Smith, lack Smith's size. hands. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then throw in, I mean, size-wise, you look at guys like Michael Pittman, 6'4", like 225. Uh, Calvin Johnson, 6'6", 220. If you put their size out there i mean essentially you're creating julio jones though right yeah everything adds up to julio i mean he was just different absolutely different at the position when you're looking for the prototype that's the guy you got to point to our last question of the show here today from fred just fred i saw your tweet about mock drafts being based on what you hear from teams how detailed is the information you receive this time of year Enough to do a three-round mock, question mark? Yeah, I got this as an Instagram DM, and sorry, I didn't put the guy's last name in. My bad, friend. But uh, I thought this was interesting because I, there were a lot of people really upset Monday night because they're like, why are you giving my team this? Or you get you, you write a mock draft, and everybody's like, this will never happen. And so I feel like a lot of people forget that mock drafts are not what I would do. They are based on what I hear from teams, and, and I think this is a good question. This time of year, you're not hearing... Uh, so much, you know, outside of like Joe Burrow and Chase Young, but you're hearing more like 
that teams need a position or they want to upgrade a position. You know, like uh, I, I had some nuggets in scouting notebook about the Ravens wanting to add an edge rusher or, you know, you hear about, you know, the, the New York Jets are probably going to go offensive tackle. You know, you, you start to piece things together based on what you hear. So it's not as specific as in the second round, the Bengals are going to draft Donovan Peoples-Jones. It's more like, hey, in the second or third round, the Bengals would look at receiver in this really deep class. And so then when you're doing a mock draft, you take what you've pieced together with all the other teams and say, okay, I have this this nugget that the Bengals would like to upgrade at receiver. There's a receiver on the board that I've heard teams have a top-round grade on, still here at 33. I'm going to put these two pieces of information together to make this pick. So, you know, when you do a seven-round mock, you're obviously, you know, I have a spreadsheet where I keep what I've heard about every team, and you try to look at that. But, you know, a lot of these fifth, sixth-round picks are just, you know, guys that you like, and you're trying to fill a special team spot. Well, in this time of year, too, when you're doing a three-round mock, I mean – a lot of it is just looking at team needs and saying, okay, here's a player on the board that fits what they need as well. I'm sure it's not all you haven't figured out what 32 teams are wanting. But also if you have an area scout or somebody say, hey, what do you think of this certain player at this certain position? You can probably get a good idea that they're looking at him or at least a position in the draft that they're targeting some people. All right, that is our show, fellas. Again, Happy New Year's to everyone. Hopefully we see some of you Saturday in Kansas City, 1 o'clock at Char Bar. Thanks for hanging out with us through a really long show. Uh, don't forget Body Armor and McDonald's Fries for that hangover. Ultimate cure. <laughs> That's, that is the best. That is it. Uh, I was telling a young person a couple days ago, they had their first like real hangover. I was like, just listen, Body Armor. And French fries from McDonald's. I know you don't want to eat right now, but you will feel better in an hour if you just follow these directions. Ibuprofen, body armor, McDonald's fries. That's what Mello and I will be doing Friday morning. Thank you for hanging out with us, guys. We'll talk to you real soon.